Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. With all that being said, let's get into John 15. Let's talk about abiding. Everybody say abiding. Not Joe Biden. I said abiding. Come on, stop making the pulpit political. Not what it's for. Anyway, if you know about John 15, um, uh, you know, the book of John, one of the things that you should do as you grow in rightly uh, handling the word of truth, um, Crossway, ESV, Lifeway, Holman, uh, NIV, NLT, a lot of people have done a really good job, y'all, trying to help us get our hands around this as best we can, our minds around it as best we can. One of the things that most good uh, uh, Bible producers and editors do is they usually give you an outline in the front of every book. Sometimes if you are plowing through a book, you know, sometimes, you know, if you are struggle with reading and, and maybe it's just not your season to just be plowing through them, why don't you just go through the outlines? Go through the outlines that helps you understand the contours of the book and what it's trying to do and where it's trying to go and how you should break it up and segment it. One of the uh, things that I just want to bring your attention to, which is really, really important, when you look at the outline, then you could understand where the, the setting in which the speech or the discourse or the sermon is being delivered. What you have here now, when we get to John chapter 15, it's the second half of John's gospel. And there's some really important narrative things happening. This is getting ready to be from chapters 13 to 17. This is Jesus' farewell discourse. So everything you read in the red letters from 13 to 17, Jesus is addressing to people he is getting ready to leave. And that puts a whole other context and weight on it. What you also need to know now, and I'll probably get it, it later. The Jews have already rejected Jesus. We've seen that as we preach these I am statements, how they've been plotting to kill him. That They've been so upset at his claims. I am the great I am. I am. I am. I am the great I am. Hey, listen. The Jews were not singing that. They were back there seething. Sometimes we don't really capture the vitriol of, of really the climate in which Jesus seems cute and really encouraging to us. But as Jesus is making these claims, he is making friends and enemies, y'all. And so the Jews have placed their final verdict on Jesus. They have discarded him. They have rejected him. And now in his farewell discourse, he has turned his attention to his new community of believers who have now accepted him as their own. And to the people who will be his eternally, he says this in verse 1, that I am the true vine. Everybody say amen. And what we learn here is that God the Father is also the gardener. If you are an astute Bible student, then you will know through the Old Testament that the primary corollary or, or the primary metaphor for the children, one of the primary metaphors for the children of Israel was also the vine as well, right? God's covenant people, the Jews, the Hebrews, the Israelites, would have also been known as vines. There are two really cool vineyard songs contained in Isaiah 5 and 27, if you want to just go back and read it, so you just understand that that's literally, those are the metaphors that were being used. Also, in Psalms 80, verses 8, 
The psalmist says, you planted, you transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it once again in reference to Israel. But Jesus comes back to this group who knew that usually when vine language was being used, it was referring to Israel. Jesus comes back and says, now I am the true vine. Now, you remember we, we talked about um, John 10 where Jesus says that I'm the good shepherd. He didn't just say I am uh, the, uh, a shepherd. He said, I am the shepherd, and he modified it. He didn't say, I am just the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, right? And that word good was to uh, explain to them and signal to them that I am the ultimate shepherd. I am the one who defines the class of all shepherds that come behind me. I am par excellence, right? When Jesus says that he is the true vine, it means that he is the real vine. He is the epitome of what it means to be a vine. He is the standard bearer. In verse 2, we get into some agriculture. We get into some gardening language, right? He cuts off every branch that's in him that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Listen to me, y'all. Bearing fruit is what vines are designed to do. If you got a vine that don't bear food, it ain't no vine. Hope y'all can catch those eyes. I worked real hard at that. Now my head hurts. And bearing fruit, just like in gardening, bearing fruit is essential to any kind of good garden. It is also an essential part of the Christian life. And this concept of bearing fruit, it's included in all four gospel evangelist accounts. Every one of them. Y'all know there are miracles that appear in some gospels that don't appear in others. There are stories that appear in some gospels that don't appear in others. There are principles that sometimes appear in some gospels that don't appear in others. All four gospels got something about bearing fruit. It's an essential part of the Christian life. And ultimately, Israel being that first vine who is being compared to the true vine, Israel's failure to produce fruit resulted in divine judgment. This is also in Psalms 80. This is verse 14. It says, return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root your right hand has planted, the sun you have raised up for yourself. Your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. We see because of the lack of fruit that the vines are discarded and destroyed by the ultimate vine dresser. It's not from without. It's actually from within. The vine, the gardener says, huh, I've got a vine. It ain't bearing no fruit. I'm going to do one or two things. Either I'm going to prune it and take away the things that are inhibiting that vine from bearing fruit. Or if it's, if it's dead and not bearing fruit, I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to discard it. Fruit is an image for positive results coming from the life of a believer. Basically, did it pop up there? Look at that. Basically, when we start talking about bearing fruit, we're saying this, that which edifies the church, advances the church's mission, and blesses our neighbors. When we talk about bearing fruit as believers, we're talking about three primary things. That which edifies the church advances the church's mission, and blesses our neighbor. i also just throw one in there that I'll talk about later, but I think I should have put it in there. And I will also talk about having the character of Christ formed in you. 
That's when you're bearing fruit. And we remember we talked about this last week, 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. We talked about that, that promise that the work that we do for the Lord is the only guarantee of things that will not come back to us void. The only thing that we can put our hand to and know that, know without a shadow of a doubt, it, we will get a return on our investment is that which we do for the Lord, right? And once again, as opposed to vain and empty labor, bearing fruit is beneficial labor. And it really is just embodied and encompassed in, in what I just call kingdom advancement. Growing in Christ-like character, edifying the church, advancing the mission, blessing our neighbors. It's bearing fruit. In order to maximize fruit, we talked about it, I hinted, and I'm going to just go in a little further. In order to maximize fruit, there's an essential process called pruning, right? And the vine dresser... Ensures increased fruitfulness by removing the dead branches, which means cut off, and removing undesired parts from the fruitful ones he prunes. And one commentary just says this, that pruning gives us a picture of a painful but necessary removal of some interests and activities in order that the remaining branches may bear even more fruit. Everybody say, ouch. Do you know that if you're in Christ... You being the branch now. Jesus is the vine. You're the branch coming off that vine. God being the gardener or the vine dresser. How many of y'all have been walking with Christ long enough to have experienced some ouches? And sometimes those ouches weren't, <laughs> right? They weren't just missional suffering. Sometimes it was some consequential suffering, as I like to call it. When sometimes we get a little distracted, we start doing some things, we got some interests that are somehow blocking our fruitfulness. But our vine dresser loves us too much and is too driven by the fruit to let us stay too long where we're not bearing fruit. And he starts to take those shears and he starts to pluck some relationships away. How many of y'all live long enough with Christ to see him start blocking some opportunities that you thought was just right for you? He said, you don't know what's best for you. I'm going to just get my shears out and start closing that door for you. You say, but why, Jesus? He said, because I'm pruning. I want fruit. And you don't know all the way, all the time. You don't have the foresight to know how to get more fruit out of your life. As a matter of fact, sometimes you stand in my way of getting fruit out your life. So you just sit on still and let me do my pruning so you can bear more fruit. Obviously, there's a big comparison here between fruitful branches and fruitless branches, right? The fruitless branches here in this passage kind of represent professing believers that have some kind of superficial connection, right? Like the, what this passage is trying to drive across to us, and I will say this and repeat it multiple times, that there is once you are united with Christ, once you, the branch, have been united with the vine, it is an unmistakable fact. You have to bear fruit, not that you are commanded to. It will be your nature to. 
You can't help it. You gotta be what it is. I don't care what that little joker do with his hair, dye it, tie it, fry it. You know, there's a video going around of Michael Jackson. I don't know if it's doctored up or not, but he was accepting some kind of award and he got up there and he was like, hello. And then he calls out, hello. Yeah. It was like, huh? Like, what, 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 what? I don't know if that's fake or not. But for this sermon illustration, it was real. The reality is, is this. Them Johnson children going to look like Johnson children. They can't help it. They might not like it. But they can't help it. If you are, listen at me, united with Christ. Truly. There will be no way that you will not be able to bear fruit. You will begin to take on his character. You will be a blessing to other people. You will advance his mission in the world, and you will edify the church. There's no other way it can be. But the scripture is trying to warn us of superficial connections. Do you know that people are connected to Jesus for reasons that are not what he desires? He says this even in John 2 and 23. He says, listen, this is one of the most sobering stories in all of John's account. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Everybody say they believed in him. They believed in his name when they saw the signs and wonders that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he, he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus says, hey, man, some, some of these people following me, but they're not putting their trust in me. They're not abiding in me. You know you could be around the community of faith and not be in the community of faith. You could be here. I've heard T Tim Keller say this, and I've botched it up a million times, but here's one of the things I've gathered. Sometimes you could just come to church because it's, it's somehow it stimulates your intellect. I just want to hear what, what that pastor's talking about. I like the way he talks. I like the way they sing. You know what? It's a, some of y'all think, man, this is a cool way to spend my Sunday evening listening. Sometimes people can be here just for the social connection. Hey, man, this is just what my friend group does. Man, I got four friends that go there, man. We, man, it's a cool thing. We can raise our children together. You can be around the community of faith and not want Jesus. Hey, man, I just, I love the neighborhood. I want to see the neighborhood changed. Ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. Fruitless branches. But then the fruitful branches are the genuine believers that are validate by, validated by a genuine connection with Jesus. Everybody say abiding. This whole message is about abiding. And we got to help you theologically understand what abiding is. And abiding very emphatically, very clear, is not about justification. How do you know that, Pastor Tim? Look at verse 3. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Right? So he's very clear to let them know, this, what I'm telling you about remaining in me, abiding in me, this has nothing to do whether or not you're saved. Right? And one of the cool things that's already kind of taken place in John chapter 13, Jesus washed their feet. 
And it was symbolically uh, letting them know that they had been clean through his service and ultimately vicariously through the laying down of his life, his ultimate act of service, they had already become clean. They'd also already become clean because I think getting ready or soon, um, Judas is about to be discarded from their fellowship and communion. So Jesus had removed the unclean things. So this group was already certified. They're already verified. You're already clean, but that don't mean you're abiding. So he tells them in verse 4, remain in me, abide in me as I also remain in you. That word abide just means stay. It means wait, remain. It kind of reminds me of last week. Be steadfast, immovable. Don't move. Put your, drop your anchor. Deep root in him. This verse one commentary says that this, this command implies that believers are already organically connected to Jesus. But here's a caveat. You are responsible to maintain that vital connection. I've saved you by grace. You can't sin your way out of that. You can't stupid your way out of that. You in the palm of my hand. But some of what you've been missing in your life, the peace and the joy and the hope and the strength to keep moving forward, you're missing it because you're not abiding. And you have got to work with the grace you've been given, not your own strength, but the grace you've been given to get yourself back planted in the vine. That one don't just come by transfusion. You have got to work to stay connected to the vine. Why? Do I really have to, Pastor Sam? Yes, you have to. I think the scripture is clear. I think at least two reasons are clear. Verse 4 and 5, you can't bear fruit. It's impossible to bear fruit without abiding. Do y'all see that? No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Anybody in here want to have fruit bearing in their life? You can raise your hand. Be counted in this room. Well, look at your brothers and sisters and look and tell them, you better abide. Look at your other neighbors and say, you better abide, brother. You want to bear fruit, you better abide. Says you, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 6 will later go on to say, essentially, that failing to abide will result in final judgment. It just discards the branches. Here's where I got to go in a little bit. He gives that summation scripture in verse 5. I am the vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's the gist? Essentially, this union with Christ is what you have been saved for. We've been kind of harping on this for, the, for, for, for a little while now. That essentially your salvation and your relationship with Christ is, should never be minimized to some forgiveness account that you just draw down on when you sin. 
The forgiveness was the entryway into union with Christ so that you could bear fruit. Basically, I'm saying you've been forgiven to be united. You've been united to bear fruit. Write it down somewhere. You've been forgiven to be united with Christ and God the Father. And you have been united so that you can bear fruit. The Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit is producing its fruit through the branches which are us, the believers. They're up to something, y'all. They did not just save us, just, man, we rescued them. No, they saved us so that their life can be flowing through us, y'all. Do you realize that? That's the reason why you got put on Team Jesus. So he can use us. We could be his special possessions, his holy people. So let's talk about abiding. Three things that I need you to know quickly just about abiding. I think I just had a note. First up, it's just that you validate and maximize the union of Christ by abiding. First of all, let's talk about abiding. First of all, it's what, I, I blew it already. It's not justification. And I spent time on that. We don't need to do it again. First of all, ab- second of all, abiding is not our default setting. You don't naturally abide in Christ. No. You know what I love? I love counseling with folks. <laughs> because you know the answer to your anxiety Abiding. You know why you stressed out to no end? Abiding. It's abiding. Got no hope. It's probably an abiding problem. You know what I always get? I always get, hey, man, you know, my marriage and, and this, this, is and, and you know what? If God would just, man, if God would just fix her, you know what I'm saying? If my kids would just, man, they just, and, and you know what I mean? And it's just, and it's like, hey, bro, well, you know what? Amen to all that. And, and you know, man, we'll just pray God moves and does that. You know what I want you to do, brother? Man, let's just get together. Let's start fasting. Let's start abiding. Well, Pastor Tim, I already do all that. Okay, buddy. Okay. Once again, this is not at all discrediting anybody with, with, with issues that, that have to be uh, uh, medically treated or psychologically dealt with. I, I, there is so much space for that. W- abiding in Jesus is not countering that at all. My friend told me one day as I was stressing, this is totally new. So the whole mental health conversation is totally new to this young pastor who grew up in the pre-millennial you know, the main problem with y'all millennials, y'all just wusses. Y'all don't just not tough. <laughs> um, I say that jokingly. But it was new, this whole idea, right? This is just brand new pastoring through this kind of generation. But one of my buddies, Maddie T, said this to me. That's who it was. I love it. I get a chance to call Matt. But uh, she's like, you know, Tim, sometimes it is true that I got to take the medicines because there's things that are distracting me from seeing who God is. And so sometimes I got to take the medicine so I will be able to slow down and I can see him accurately. And I can rest in him. But even if I take the meds, it's only so I can see him rightly. I still got to abide. 
I still got to rest in who he is. So praise God for the meds that chill some things out in here so that I can get a picture of my loving Savior to sit back on my heart. But it's not your default. Don't, don't you let your buddy and your accountability partner say, yeah, I'm already resting in Jesus. I roll them. All right, now. It's not our default. Abiding in Jesus takes effort and intentionality. It takes effort and intentionality. It don't happen no other way, y'all. If we don't make the time, if we don't set the space apart, you're not abiding. Don't fool yourself, okay? This is a deliberate thing, the practice of abiding. I'm about to hit you with an incessant amount of John Mark Comer quotes, so just bear with me. He uh, wrote this cool book I would commend to you. Um, you know, the one I've been working on, Live No Lies, that was my favorite for a while. And then I, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that's now become a, my new favorite right now. But um, one of the things that he helps us to see in that book is that really the greatest burden to us abiding, really one of them is distraction. It's our attention. The fight is for our attention. One of the things he helps us to see is that, you know, usually sometimes we get in our tight spots, we get anxious, we get restless, and we're like, oh, my God, my world is kind of crashing down around me. Um, where is God? And the, one of the things that comes across in the book is it's never our God's connection. It's never that somehow, you know how, uh, you know, I love it. Gina FaceTime her mom every day. And every once in a while there's like a, you know what I'm saying? And then you get in that thing, is it you, is it me? No, it's your end. No, it's my end. You know what I'm saying? Who bar, who ain't got the connection, right? What, what, one of the things that uh, is key for you to understand is if there's a connection problem in abiding with you and God, it ain't never on his end. He is a present help in the time of trouble. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of time. There's nobody who wants to be nearer to you than God in his presence. But the problem is we're distracted. We can't see him. There's obstacles and we can't, we can't quite see him. And so he takes intentional effort to remove the things, to slide around and get and do the things that foster that connection. And I'm telling you that is tireless business, but it is fruitful and business that is worth it. John says, we become what we give our attention to, for better or for worse. He says, if we lose our ability to pay attention to God, whether for a long period of time or short period of time, who knows what we'll become? We lose our ability to pay attention to God. Who knows what will become? Can I just ask you something, my friends? Does church bore you? Do you find where you cannot labor for a couple minutes in prayer? Does the thought of waking up just a few seconds before you got to get in that shower to go to work and putting some word on your heart, does that seem tedious to you? 
I would tell you even in that, that there's a loving, compassionate, and gracious God who is still desiring to meet with you. And even if you miss 360 days straight, that he wants to give you grace so that those things become life-giving again. Do not settle for religious routine. This entire passage is not about how you become saved, but it's, become, it's about how you can live a vibrant and productive life connected to the vine. Do not settle for less. Let's talk about the obstacles. The whole John Mark Comer book really just to me lands on busyness. Everybody say busyness. Just get busy. It's just, this world forces us to live at a certain amount of pace, trying to maximize every little hour, and it keeps us distracted. And one of those writers in that book said, hurry kills all that we hold dear. Whether it's spirituality, health, family, marriage, work, creativity, or generosity, we're constantly being sped up. And it's robbing the quality and the life out of all the things that we're really trying to do. Henry Nouwen says this, that without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen, with, listen to him. I don't care how busy you think you are. You better carve out time to meet with God. But maybe it starts first by saying, man, I'm too overloaded. My schedule's too crowded. I got to get that thing simplified, and I got to stop being sped up. One of the things I love in watching college basketball, I think I've used this before on y'all. Sometimes when you want to change the tempo, you press them full court and you get them to start making all kinds of mistakes. And I believe the enemy through our culture is speeding us up, y'all. And it's choking out time with the vine. You don't have to have that extracurricular. You don't have to save those extra 2000 for the job and you're working 10 extra hours. You don't have to get the kid in that college. You got to stay connected to the vine. It is choking life out of you little bit by little bit until you literally in your mind, some of you hearing me is like, I don't have more time. Yes, you do. But you've busied yourself to death. But God, give us grace to declutter. Amen, somebody. Give us grace to declutter today. Just worldliness. Sometimes we can't stay, because we just worldly. Everybody say, it's me. I just, listen, don't disrespect sin. Sin is pleasurable. The devil don't feed you Brussels sprouts. <laughs> he goes to Gibson's and gets that extra sugary, buttery apple fritter. He say, Pastor Tim, come on, get you some. And I just say, the spirit is willing. <laughs> I think part of that worldliness, too, is some of us have arrived at places where we're like, oh, I got enough, God. I don't, I don't need more. I'm good. I got enough, right? No. Your life that you have with Christ is only meant like an airplane to go one way. 
It's got to go one way. It don't go in reverse. It don't pause. So if you are not growing, if you're not bearing fruit, then you're not living life connected to the vine. And that is your primary charge. So you got busyness. You got worldliness and desires. You got escapism. I'm, I'm a big escaper, y'all. You want to know sometimes what Pastor Tim is doing when y'all don't see me? It's not abiding. I'm trying to escape. I just don't want to deal with stuff. So when I don't want to deal with stuff, I go find my little places to hide. I go sit behind my little video game, and I just, I just don't want, I want to turn it off. Now, sometimes those things can be good for short amounts of time, and they are. Sometimes can be blessings, but some of us have confused escaping and abiding. Just because you went away and you're not dealing with the stress of your bosses and what they got going on, that don't mean you're abiding. Just because you're not thinking about it anymore. And sometimes those narcotics of escapism, when you find out that the video game can't quite block out the noise of the world, then you got to find other harder and stronger things. Pornography, other kind of addictions. Because instead of abiding, we wanted to escape. Be careful, y'all. How about productivity? Some of y'all take your extra margin and, and your only goal in life is to be efficient and productive. That's not abiding. Yeah, you worked a few more hours. Yeah, you crossed a few more things off the list. But are you abiding, though? So what is abiding, Pastor Tim? Abiding is a lifestyle. It's a motivation, and it's a gear, I think. Abiding is a lifestyle. It's a motivation, and it's a gear. I love that, that monk brother, Lawrence, who said, you know, essentially, you know, I think John, John, somebody hit me up. It was like, hey, man, oh, is that that blasted get your children? Kobe, we got to change it. I know. I know, and I take too long. Somebody's like, man, what does it look like to, to actually do fruitful label for Jesus? Do I just need to stop doing all my secular stuff and just go work? completely for the church, all of us is working for the church? No. Thinking that Comer book just says, we need to go back to, y'all remember the WWJD bracelets? Not, what would Jason Dewan do? <laughs> but essentially, it's adding on to it. Put the IHWM on it. What would Jesus do if he were me? That's how you need to start processing and thinking through your life. What would Jesus do if he was a stay-at-home mama? What would Jesus do if he was an engineer or a corporate executive? What would Jesus do if he were a pastor? And we need to start processing 
how Jesus would be trying to abide and stay connected with God, his Father, in our specific station in life. So, no, you don't have to quit your job because we got to pay for this building. <laughs> but I, well, let me be sure. Let me, let me be certain. Let me pause. Some of y'all, God could be asking to walk away. I pray that you would be so intertwined with the vine that you would be able to hear your shepherd's voice. Even if he called you to do something as drastic as that, that your ears would be attuned to listen. But I think whatever station of life we find ourselves in, we got to pause and we got to be turning to Jesus. We got to be turning to Jesus, finding him in in the sweetness of life, in the busy of life, in the chaos. We got to be turning our attention to him. And I think one question that I would hope that you all would, would just, these three questions in terms of abiding. What am I turning to first? So when you feel yourself and you feel the intensity of life and things are chaotic and crazy, what am I turning to first? What am I turning to most often? And what am I turning to most confidently? So you you can say I'm abiding because I have a quiet time. Just because you have a quiet time doesn't mean you're abiding. Usually when you are abiding, here's how you can tell. When life starts to heat up the furnace around you, things start to get chaotic and crazy. What are you reaching for? I need a drink. I need a vacation. No, I need Jesus right now. I need everything that is true in Scripture to be present and flowing through me right now, and I need to abide. I need to abide. This is a culture of stress eaters. This is a culture of of people escaping in all types of measure of ways to do it. But I'm saying, hey, y'all, what does it look like for us to, hey, before we get into our vacation, because God is not opposed to your vacation. Obviously, we Presbyterians, so he ain't opposed to your little liquor cabinet. <laughs> Lily Grace. But what are you turning to first, y'all? What are you turning to most often? And what are you turning to most confidently? Abiding is a motivation. It's a heart desire. It's where you want to be. I want to be in his presence. How many of y'all literally can say, I want to be in his presence? This guy who's not a believer, I think he has this quote. He says, we achieve inner peace when our schedule aligns with our values. We achieve inner peace when our schedule aligns with our values. And to abide because it's intentional, because it takes effort. We got to make our schedule fit our top priority. And our top priority as branches of the vine is to abide in him. And if there is anything that is obstructing us from being able to abide in him, get rid of it. Or you might find that the gardener will start pruning What isn't abiding, abiding isn't a checklist. Abiding is more than 
doing your quiet time. It's more than reading. It's more than praying. It's more than worshiping. What abiding is, is using those things. It's using those disciplines as often as you can to work God's truth into your heart and live out of them. Just say that one more time. Abiding is more about a motivation. Just because you pray on your way from one place to one place don't mean you're abiding. But abiding, this lifestyle, this desire, this motivation is using all the disciplines of grace that you have. Quiet time, reading the word, meditation, praise, prayer, all that. Using those as often as you can to take God's truth and to move it from your head to your heart so that you actually live like you are a joint heir with Christ, loved and accepted and forgiven. And you and I both know the truth. We just don't live like that, do we? And it's not because those things aren't true. It's because something is immediately distracting us from seeing it and living out of those truths. I got to give you some Tony Evans. In his beautiful alliteration, I'm going to mess it up, but he just says, abiding is three things, really. It's growing in Christ-like character. It's growing in giving God glory and growing in blessing others. Not too dissimilar from mine, but he only had three. Basically, he would say that abiding, listen at this, y'all. Abiding is looking more like Jesus, not less. Abiding is giving God more glory, not less. Abiding is benefiting others, not less. So you don't look more like Jesus than when you started this thing. We got an abiding problem. If you're on a trajectory, some people have convinced themselves, yeah, you know, this is just not a season where I'm giving God much glory. Hmm. Hmm. We got an abiding problem. And that should never, you should never rest on that if you are united with Christ. Oh, yeah, I'm just, it's just not my season for, what do you, what you mean? That's what we're here for. Here's these three characteristics of fruit from Evans. That fruit always bears the character of the tree of which it is a part. The character of the tree determines the nature of the fruit. Fruit is always visible. There's no such thing as invisible fruit. Don't tell me you're bearing fruit and other people don't bear witness to it. Pastor Tim, I'm connected to the vine. Really? There ain't nothing on your tree. We got a problem. He says, lastly, that fruit always exists for the benefit of someone else. Fruit don't eat itself. The fruit is for other people. Are other people blessed by your life? And other people blessed by your life in Christ? says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burn. Kind of reminds me of Matthew 5 and 13. Say you're the salt of the earth. But essentially, what good is the salt? If the salt stops being salty, what good is it? It needs to be trampled on. If you're a branch and you don't bear fruit, what's the purpose? 
seems really harsh, but I think it's really logical. And I think if we understand our union with Christ, if we are, if the one we love is all about bearing fruit and we're spending time with the one we love, then our relationship will drive us to want to bear fruit in our lives. And if you want to bear fruit, if you're like, if you're a Christian, it's like, man, I want to bear fruit. I want my life to have healthy fruit hanging off the tree. Then what's it going to drive you to do? It's going to drive you to abide because you know the only way you can bear fruit is by abiding in him. It just always comes full circle. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I think the evidence of union with Christ, the evidence of abiding in the vine is when you cut the believer open, their life bleeds God's word, both the knowledge of it and the practice of it. And then he gives you that sweet little carrot. He says, if you abide in me and remain in me and my word, then you're going to ask things and it'll be done for you. What do you mean? When believers internalize Jesus' individual words, they will make scripturally informed requests that God will answer. It's from a commentator. And in verse 8, he says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Jesus glorifies his Father through fruitful believers who abide in him, who in turn show themselves to be his disciples by abiding him. You see the connection? God wants glory. How's he going to get glory? He sends his son Jesus for the people. He'll forgive the people so that they can be united with him. And as they're united in him, they'll bear fruit. And the bearing fruit give God glory. And the bearing fruit is evidence that they're with me. They're my disciples. You want to bear fruit? You want people to know that you're one of Jesus' disciples? You got to abide. You got to abide. You know, we, I think we're at a really pivotal stage in the life of our church. It's like, man, the church is growing. God's cool. Seems to be momentum. I'm not, I'm not at all interested in just, I mean, it, it kind of terrified me. I was just thinking. It's like, man, where I'm going. I think it was last week, thinking about fruitful labor, what I'm doing for the Lord, the vanity, whatever. I mean, this picture of just pastoring a big old church and managing people and other things, like, that didn't really excite me very much at all. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I think I want to spend my days just surrounded with my brothers and sisters who love Jesus and they push me to love Jesus more. And because we abide, we have, it's just natural that we bear fruit. Sign me up for that. The other stuff I'm not really interested in.
I think if you come to the avenue, you'll have better expositors. You're going to have better strategists. You might have better worship leaders. But I think where we're trying to push the church is that you're not going to find people more committed to abiding. And that our greatest resource to our families, mothers, our greatest resource to this community is our connection to the vine. And if we lose that, we have nothing. Oftentimes we look at Matthew 28, the Great Commission. It's like, what are you supposed to be doing as a Christian? The Great Commission, go ye therefore. When did I tell you Jesus said, I'm the vine, abide in me, remain in me, and apart from me you could do nothing? When did I tell you he said that? This is in his farewell discourse. This is before the Great Commission. And can I just tell you really quickly, the Great Commission assumes that the disciples already know this. There ain't no way we can do what he just told us to do without his help, without abiding. There's no way we can bring shalom or anything good to this community or that community without abiding, y'all. And if you want to be a better mama in the next 40 years of your life than you were in the first 20, start abiding more. And if you want to be a better husband, learn how to sit still, get stuff off your schedule, and abide. And if you want to know how you can work vocationally and you're surrounded by darkness at every turn, learn how to abide. Maybe instead of running the Krispy Kreme on your lunch break, you just say, I'm going to fast and I'm going to lay out before the Lord and I'm going to abide. Because that's where my strength is coming from. If you listen to this whole message, and you walk out of here and you're saying, oh, man, here's another thing the preacher man's asking me to do that I'm failing at. Then you're missing the whole shebang, y'all. This is an invitation in the fullness. This is invitation in the health and vitality. Jesus says, abide in me. I can give you the things that you're missing in your life. Before you leave out and start making excuses about where you don't have time or where you just, where you just, maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, just help me to see it. Help me to build a life where you can be at the center and I can abide in you. And I can fit the other things in.